In today's episode, I'm chatting with the wonderful Jill Howarth from Born Wise, all about raising wild and free children. What does wild and free really mean anyway? What does child-centred mean? We'll be interpreting the philosophy of child-centred education and parenting and talking about what we can do if one child's autonomy might be interfering with another person's autonomy. Might be a bit controversial at times, or it might just plant some seeds. We hope this discussion opens your mind up to some ideas and starts some conversations about the language that we use in and around nature play. We'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record today, the Kabi Kabi and Gubby Gubby people. We recognise their continued connection to the land and waters of this beautiful place. We recognise Aboriginal people as the original custodians of this land and acknowledge that they have never ceded sovereignty. We respect all Gubby Gubby elders, ancestors and emerging elders and all First Nations people listening today. Hello and welcome to the Raising Wildlings podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Farrell, and today we have with us the lovely Jill Howarth from Born Wise. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education, and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in and join us on this next adventure. Welcome to the Raising Wildlings podcast. Today we have one of our I'm going to say semi-regular guests who we are hoping to be quite regular, Jill Howarth from Born Wise. How are you today, Jill? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. A little bit tired just coming back in from that, you know, January, December holiday period. So yeah, I'm, I'm mostly good. I'm just trying to remember who I am and <laughs> what I do <laughs> at this point. But yeah. You could have heard my conversation I'm with good. Jill just seconds ago. It's it's a combination of overwhelm and anxiety and PMS and but we're here and it's okay and we're human we're and some days, particularly when it's January and you're not sure what day it is, feel a little <laughs> harder than others. But I'm really excited to talk to you about this topic because it is something close to our heart and I think something very idealised, perhaps in our sector, in the nature play sector, and that's the topic of raising children wild and free or raising wild and free children. We want to dissect that a little bit today, really trying to work out what we believe wild and free means, what does child-centred means, and kind of trying to interpret the philosophy of that, not just in education and parenting, because obviously they cross. uh, And sometimes when we have differing philosophies, there can be a clash. So why don't we start, Jill, with I guess why you wanted to talk about this topic to start with. When you when you posed this question, I went, yes, absolutely. I'd love to hear why for you. I think it's been um an ongoing kind of interest of mine the whole time I've been a teacher, really, you know, especially having worked, you know, I know I've mentioned this before, mostly at alternative-based schools um that attract, you know, people who want to look at different philosophies and different ways of doing things but one thing that I've always noticed is that the philosophies are so easily misinterpreted by the individual you know and often individual families and 
what nature-based means to me might be something very different than what it means to you or to another family. And so I guess I'm just interested as an educator and a parent and also, you know, somebody who really believes that the way we treat children and raise our children has great significance for, you know, the way we live our lives in the future, the culture that we're building. And so I think it's important to nut out some of these questions. And I don't think it's even necessarily that we have to all be on board and agree that these are the dot points as what it means to raise wild and free children. But I think we always need to be looking at what what we mean by that and having conversations around it because one of the biggest mistakes perhaps we can make as humans, and I know this because it's something I've only just learned how much I do, is assuming that the other person or the other group or the other community or the other family actually thinks the same way you do. And I've noticed that this is where, you know, we we come up with these phrases like wild and free children, or I know there's similar kind of confusions and conversations in the different parenting styles. Um, I've heard these, you know, around what is conscious parenting, what is gentle parenting and and sometimes there's this idea, I guess, that if we find other people who prescribe to this philosophy, then we've we've met people who are going to do everything in the exact same way we do. And I don't think that's ever going to happen and I don't think it needs to happen, no. but I think conversations as to what, what do we want for our children when we when we say wild and free, you know, they're very broad terms. What mm. what do they mean, you know? So, Essentially, for me, this is just an exciting opportunity to talk in a space that honors childhood and, you know, nature based parenting, education, and just and kind of nut out some ideas, I guess. And yeah, yeah figure out what we even mean when we say that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's a great starting point because I'm sure you're the same where you've seen two ends of a very long and broad spectrum where wild and free for some might mean children get choice to do anything they want no matter what possibly with zero or very little consequences all the way to a very regimented military-esque schedule mm-hmm. um you know military type diet military type screen time um and and everywhere in between so what mm-hmm. uh, let's break down the terms too. What does wild mean to you? At, and and is it any different between what it means to you as a parent and what it means to you at born wise? Yeah, that that's a really good question. And I think for me, the first time I the word wild in connection to children even came up as a topic was oh, it was probably about fifteen years ago, and I was working, and I described to my mentor that you know, a group of boys seemed really wild. And I know at the time when I used that phrase back then, I I, I didn't mean it in a positive sense. Mm. It, they, their wildness was actually disrupting something in me and it didn't feel good. Mm. So I definitely didn't use it. I know I, how I used that word in a bit of a like critical way, I think, mm. or at least an uncomfortable way. And I remember she looked at me and said, well, what is wrong with that? You know, why is that not okay? And I had to sit with that. And, you know, they were, it was probably six four-year-old boys. And on reflection, they they were being wild, but actually they were wild in the way the wind was wild. It, it wasn't a bad thing. It was, it was more what it did to me as a, quite a new teacher. Mm. So 
I think that was the start of it way back then. And now, then I've been through this stage of just feeling wild as like such a beautiful way to be and that there's a wildness inside of us that relates to remembering that we're nature and the natural world is wild. Um, And I'm moving towards more of that gentle kind of understanding of wild, Mm. Um, you know, in the way that a flower would grow wildly as opposed to one that, you know, goes goes in a more manicured garden, which is a much more poetic way of looking at wild. But I notice how different humans have very different kind of barometers for measuring wildness yeah. and, and what is okay for, for one teacher or parent is very different to for another parent and and I wonder in, is there anything wrong with that is it is there is it wrong that we do have different measurements for it and maybe that's just when we need to have conversations I had my eyes really widely widely not wildly opened uh, a couple of years back too when we were broaching the topic of decolonizing forest school and you know we're called mm. wildlings mm. and and we got asked about wild and and why we use the word wild in wildlings and um the person we were talking said oh it's a very white word and i went and straight away i was uncomfortable mm. and i went to be defensive and then i sat with it and went and she was fantastic and she said if my children are out playing on the street and get called wild it's not it's not a compliment if a white parent calls their children wild, generally it means they're wild and free and, you know, nature-based. And so even breaking wow. down the, you know, the colonisation of the word as it has been, it's like, wow, I very white privileged position have not ever had to consider mm-hmm. that. And I was I was very, very grateful for the education, you know, the weight, the responsibility of the education. Um and it, it really made me look at the word really differently again because, like you said, mm-hmm. you can use the word as, oh, those boys are wild or, oh, my child's so wild. And sometimes it's just the intonation. <laughs> so yeah. I think totally. so much nuance in one word and and so much history in a word too because, you know, wild children were rounded up and sent into white homes because they needed the wild tamed out of them mm-hmm. here in Australia, quote, unquote, not my belief, obviously. Um, yeah, so how do we decolonise wild and free as well while we're, I guess, deconstructing what the meaning is, I think is, is just is a really interesting topic. It's an interesting topic. I think it's a really important topic. I think you've just captured something that I hadn't actually been thinking about too much in regards to this conversation, but it's something that I've been thinking a lot about in the last few months with my work, you know, mm-hmm. and everything that I do in the world and how, you know, we often aren't aware of that white privilege and and how much language, you know, language and culture and our belief systems are so entwined and there's a lot of you know trend around the word wild at the moment isn't it it's become like a branding thing as well and um you know the way we use it you're so right we use it in in a in a way that just captures our our understanding Mm. of the world and it's like what an exciting just discovered the world isn't it a little bit in these (laughs) circles it's just sort of like wow we've we've learned this new word and it it stands for so much but then 
I think it is really important that we keep checking ourselves as to what do we what do we mean and is is there a better word that we're actually trying to find that we haven't got yet? Yeah, and maybe that's it. What is it that we're actually trying to encapsulate with the word wild? And I think you you did that very well with the the analogy of the plant. It's you know it are as Carol Black calls the um, the killer whale at SeaWorld versus the killer whale in the wild. So is mm-hmm. that what we're trying mm-hmm. to do in nature play with it, where we're trying to encourage children's autonomy? And I think we need to discuss in a minute what that means and can look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and also without judgment, I guess, too, because we know that the mainstream system often doesn't allow for the kind of autonomy for children that we can allow in our nature play programs as well so does wild incidentally straight away say that people are not wild if they don't go to these programs or what does it mean if your child is not yeah wild and free as well and then yeah is there a judgment within that as as well um yeah yeah so many big questions <laughs> so many big questions and you know it's it's you've you just mentioned something that i you know, I was that came into my thoughts when I was kind of just contemplating this conversation, and it, it is that um, either or thing, you know, mm. of like we're either um, wild or we're domesticated. And it's, yeah. You know, I, I believe the the answers are in between there, and it's mm. I think again, like this is becoming my answer to nearly everything lately. Is well, look to the natural world, and and what does that mean? You know, what? Do, how does the natural world teach us about wildness? And it doesn't mean that it's always <laughs> crashing about being noisy. Like there's mm-hmm. a gentleness in wildness as well, isn't there? There's a gentleness in the wilderness, and um, it's not. Perhaps we we could do a lot to kind of take that word and and play with it and mold it and because even the word free like there's so much connotations around what do we mean by free like oh mm. I mean that's a huge philosophical question but I think for me it's it's looking at well what do we mean by wild play and then autonomy as you just mentioned it's one of the biggest questions for me is watching the children play at um at Born Wise and I see these wi- wildness kind of movements come through them and and then there's a point sometimes in me where I start to go oh no that's not okay that's not okay what I'm yeah. seeing there that's someone else's autonomy starting to kind of impede on another human's autonomy and and you know I mean and then what do we do you know mm-hmm. um is it my right to be wild and free always no matter how that affects other people or is that just just a misinterpretation of of a phrase? Um, you know. Yeah, and I think this one's really important because typically, uh, and and I'm, yours might be different, but at Wildlings we generally have the majority of parents following some kind of gentle, conscious, respectful parenting mm-hmm. philosophy. Not all, mm-hmm. but I would I would guesstimate mm-hmm. seventy to eighty percent. It's probably more. Actually, I'm probably erring on the right. on the lower side. Um, but even within that spectrum, there's the very laissez-faire parenting or where children can do whatever mm-hmm. they want, which does cause problems in our programs at times uh, where our mentors are stepping in over top of the parent because that child is impeding in another person's space, joy, play, 
mm-hmm. anything. So for, for me, I I believe you can do what you want as long as it's within the safety guidelines and it's not impeding on somebody else's play to a point. I guess that's, again, the grey zone because, you know, children that free don't need to share and so on. That's a whole other conversation. Um, and mm. I guess there's this whole village parenting mm. as well. We all need to coexist in this space happily, not all the time, because we're all allowed to feel our feelings as well and mm-hmm. things can seem not fair, particularly when you're three. Um, but it's mm-hmm. not okay to hit, smack, spit, play with sticks if the child feels uncomfortable. So it really, to me, comes down to consent. Are we teaching children to communicate yep. about consent? Um, and that can be a difficult conversation yep. with parents sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. It is. And, I mean, I actually find it easier with the children to discuss <laughs> these things because we often be able to just sit around with a group of children and, and just say, oh, you know, you wanted to play that game that involved you running around uh, with a stick and it upset this other person, you know, it upset this other child. And I find the children are able to have those conversations of yeah. sort of go, oh, you know, maybe we didn't see that way or they start to, you know, I've had them come up with great solutions where they've created a space within a space that is yeah. this is where this play will happen and if you're not a fan, you know, don't go over here and, you know, they've 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 come up with great ways of navigating that. Mm. With the parents, it's much more difficult and I don't know if that's just because our generation maybe hasn't grown up ourselves with mostly that's a generalization but mm. we've been able to express ourselves and and have those uncomfortable conversations and it can be hard can't it when there's multiple adults in a space mm. of, well who's leading right now you know who who is it can be uncomfortable for mentors if they have to step in and the parents there and you know it's mm. um yeah i mean it's it's for me the discomfort is is just a like a symbol of the fact, well, there's work that we can do here, you know. It's sort of highlighting that there's something to be nutted out here. There's something that we can all really learn from. So mm. let's kind of go to the uncomfortable places rather than avoid them. Yeah, 100%. I, I've learned, I've personally grown so much more in my ability to handle conflict in this role than any other role, any other course at all and the children exactly Mm -hmm. like you said the children have guided me in that you know I've sat down and I've said I'm not even involved in this play but I feel uncomfortable and I feel terrible that Mm -hmm. I've had to stop this play as an adult when I'm not involved Mm -hmm. but this is what I feel and I point out you know the stick or the the rough housing that in in my levels have got to the point where it's going to end in an injury and they've been so great. Mm-hmm. They, like exactly like you said, they've created safe words. They've said, "Oh well, when this happens, I mm-hmm. know that this will make me feel better." Or when such and such clenches his jaw, I stop playing. And the child just mm-hmm. goes, "Do I? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do. Okay, so maybe you could point <laughs> out when Jill clenches her jaw that maybe she might want to take a break for ten seconds and ten deep breaths. So they are amazing <laughs> at oh, yeah. facilitating these grey zones. I think. Mm. yeah yeah they really are and I guess that's they I mean maybe that's because they don't have the same it seems to always they're better in my opinion at having the conversations without judgment or taking it personally they seem to be it's a little more removed where for parents and educators 
maybe the, it's harder for us to detach. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. We get a little bit more caught up in things, but I think this whole, you know, even the term of child-centred, I've had lots of conversations with parents at, at Born Wise who've said, you know, um, they've grown, they've used this philosophy where it's, you know, the child always gets to say what yes, no, and all of these kinds of consent. But then, you know, I had a parent ask recently, but what happens when the child's saying no to something repeatedly? And I, I know that they will benefit from moving past that no and mm. and learning something new. You know, how do you do that? How do you still honour this kind of child-centred respectful consensual learning mm. but recognize when it's oh you know are you actually saying no or are you are we stuck in this kind of spot so um that's such a good one and I think again I think the children are really if they're not in a group situation where they're feeling threatened not threatened but you know they're starting to be dysregulated because they're already in a, in a situation where they're not in a private space but when you can get them on their own and you can sit with them and ask those exact questions mm. you know, is it fear if it is fear well, let's break down the fear and if we break down the fears into baby steps what might be the first step for you I'm not going to ask you to go and sit down and whittle a spear but right now maybe you walk with me in the bush and see what what sticks are around for us to whittle mm. and I'm sure it's a bigger mm fear than that it might be climbing a tree or something like that but what might be the first thing it might be walking around the tree or it might be coaching someone else up and down and but getting them to suggest it Mm. as well I think those steps I have found more often than not when we talk about the benefits at the end and the feeling of pride and self-confidence at the end so often they will create their own plan and it's a safety plan generally whether that's an emotional safety plan or a Mm. physical safety plan They are so so good at being able to step that out in Mm. a way that suits them. And it's I guess that's still autonomy Mm. with a bit of mentorship because, like, you're right, it's not complete autonomy. There's still a person of power persuading a a small person to be um, doing something they have told you repeatedly that they don't want to do. So I think when we come at it from a conversational, like an investigative point of view, perhaps, Mm -hmm. that that perhaps it's not um, I have this end goal of definitely getting you to this end point but I'm coming at you with just curiosity to see where you're at and if there might be a possibility of ever moving towards a goal I don't know I think that's I mean I think that's you know everything you just said is beautiful it's perfect and it's sort of echoey of that scaffolding you know philosophy Mm. they talk a lot about in regio of we're just kind of supporting you through this and I think it's important to hear these that that's you know how someone like yourself manages that because I think for parents that's useful because if they haven't worked much with children but they you know become a parent and you know read the book then you can take these sort of like philosophies on a very black and white kind of well Mm. Um, you know, consent means the child said this, child said that. But there's there's so much more subtleties and so much, you know, it's nothing's ever really that kind of um binary opposition, you know, the this or that or yes mm. or no, or I don't want to make it sound like <laughs> no is not no, but it's I think 
it's conversation and it's just relationships and everything comes back to that for me. Yes. And, you know, even this whole discussion about wild and free, like we, we'd probably do well to sit down and talk to the children and say, well, what, what does it mean to be wild and free? Do you want to be wild and free or, or is yeah. this something that is more important for, for us adults? You know, mm. do, do they feel the need to be wild and free as we so desperately want them to be? Oh, that's such um, a good point because I guarantee they just want to be children and they don't want a label at all. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean wild and, and free? I'm, I'm sure just a 10-year-old some... boy or girl or in between. I'm just a kid. I'm just Nikki. A hundred percent, and that's probably what we need to keep coming back to. And, and you know, for me, I, as that child who I loved being in nature, I loved being outdoors, but I wasn't particularly wild in the traditional sense of it but I would have been sitting making up stories and kind of very imaginative play and myth and fairy tales and that that's that's a wildness as well you know Mm. there's a wildness in fairy tales for me so I, I think it's like if we can just keep expanding on these terms like wild and free and not and not make them stuck you know not make them kind of well, I don't. I don't know if many of us are even thinking that deeply about what it is. Like maybe that's just something that I am always live giving that extra thought to. But uh, we we've um, definitely gone through it with the wild and wildlings, and, and it was a big decision for us to do it. And we had it pre the decolonizing forest school in that term, and so we do have slight regret about that word. We're too far down the rabbit hole to change it, but I think conversations around it, at least the awareness of it and the intention behind it whilst also acknowledging the history and how that has impacted oppressed and marginalised people is super important um, just to remind us of our privilege mm-hmm. of where we are. So so for me, when I look at wild, whether it's in wildlings or my wild and free children, to me it really comes down to being connected to nature. But when I dive mm-hmm. into that deeper, we are all nature and we are all connected, even if we live in the biggest city in the tallest high rise with zero uh, contact yes. to nature, to me. So really there is no difference between a wild, in my head, what a wild child looks like in it and in the most urban child you've ever met. Wild is still connected yeah. to nature. So it's almost a moot word. <laughs> Yeah, it could be, you know, and it, it sounds so similar to I have a often similar thought of, you know, calling my work Born Wise and, I mean, that was always a little bit of a like a cheeky sort of play on words as well because it's it's to remind me that, you know, that the inner, we've got this born, we're born with this sort of inner wisdom and mm. to me that is very similar to the word wild or that inner nature and everything around us but then you know, there's that inner spark, but we're also part of a wider whole, you know, and we're we're always learning and growing. So yes, we're born wise, but we're also, you know, it doesn't that doesn't mean we're born knowing everything, you know, mm. it's like the the truth is in the sort of spaces in between. And I think, you know, what you just said about that wildness is is something that's just inside of us. And, you know, you could argue that <sighs> I mean, very deep philosophical question, but like even someone who's perhaps, you know, a prisoner in jail could if they have a certain thing within them, a wildness. And and a freedom. And a freedom. Think of the Nelson Mandela in the world that no one can, you know, imprison me. I am a free man because I choose to be a free man. That's not what I would picture a free child to be, but if you believe you were free, you were free. So 
who are we to say? <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. I think this is a great place to stop because this podcast was never about giving you solid answers. We, we didn't start this episode with a definition in mind. We didn't say, right, by the end of this, we want to have told the wonderful audience what raising wild and free children means exactly. It's more, like you said, of planting a seed. So I hope it's been thought-provoking. I hope that you've got something out of it and love to hear your feedback on whether you're going to change what you call the children, whether that's in your care and your own family. Um, Yeah, please DM us with what you thought about this episode and what you might either rename your children. Are they just going to be children? (laughs) And what it means to you. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope, as always, that this conversation has sparked some, I guess, thought-provoking conversations. And until next week, stay wild. I always love my conversations with Jill. I hope you do too. I love that they kind of weave in and out and we talk about the big ideas that we end up coming back to, I guess, a mutual understanding, which really is always that there is no black and white answer and that Everything that we talk about in the nature play kind of sector needs to be place-based and it needs to be people-based and it needs to be rooted in decolonizing forest school as well. So I hope, if nothing else, we've planted some seeds and opened up some conversations about the wild and free philosophy and interpreting what a child's autonomy may or may not mean in a village or a program setting. And also what child-centred means in education and parenting. Ultimately, I hope you feel wild and free in the most positive context for you and your family uh, and that these these conversations continue to happen and that we continue to break down our privilege around them as well. Until next week, stay wild.